Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Johnny from Tribes. That's right, Tribes, they're back. New music, new album coming, big tour announcement. Ah, oh, so much great stuff coming from Tribes. Um, We touch on it at the beginning, but um, I'll, I, I remember putting Tribes on very, very, very early on. Before... I think they'd signed a a proper deal. And um, very early on, I got sent this demo. We'll talk about it at the beginning anyway. And, uh, and, oh, my God. No, like, when you hear something, you just go, yeah, yeah, this is special. That was one of their moments. And, uh, and yeah, and after a a hiatus, they're back, and we we go right into it. We find out why it's all happening and how, how different it is now doing it now without the... The pressures of you know being four youngsters thrown in a van and you know thrust out by a um, a major label to go and you know do all the things that these bands have to do and yeah it sounds like it's a much calmer enjoyable vibe within the tribes camp and uh, and Johnny tells us all about it anyway so uh, I won't say too much more on that a few thank yous I want to thank Scribius Pip and everyone at the Distraction Pieces Network um, it's a wonderful place the Distraction Pieces Network head over there there's so many great podcasts available over there I want to thank the team at Blue Murder Club podcast they produced this for me so um, so huge thanks to them go check them out if you like your true crime because it's a wonderful podcast the big thanks always go to you lot. We're uh, we're just off of 500 episodes, I think, now, um, which was something I never thought was going to happen. 500 episodes. I set this up as just a little sideline alongside my other podcast because I just like to chat music. And it's become something completely standalone and completely... It's just absolute joy for me to get to do this. And uh, I've met so many people that have, have inspired me, that have soundtracked my life and... It's been an absolute joy, and it's been a real, real nice thing to know that so many of you have come on that that ride as well. And I hope that you, you know, if you get a fraction of the, the the joy I get from it, then um, you're having a great time. Um, if it's your first time listening, hello. You've missed loads, as I just said. We're nearly at five hundred episodes, so I'm presuming you're a Tribes fan if you're uh, if you're new to this. Well, if you are, once you finish today's episode. Um, go check out the back catalogue because there's lots of bands that we talk about today that I've um, been lucky enough to have on. Mystery Jets, go check out the Mystery Jets episode. I had a lovely chat with Blaine uh, uh, on Eel Pie Island. It was a wonderful um, time. Uh, and if you like that, you know, that the, the sort of bands that all exploded around the time of Tribes, go, go check out that back catalogue, whether it's the Wombats, Interpol, God, there's so many bands um, from Block Party, uh, the Maccabees. Um, yeah, go go get stuck in because I've had so many on, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So go and have a, a good old look through. And if you like your big old rock and roll, um, then go check out my chats with Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, um, Foo Fighters. Oh, God. The, the guy that produced some of the biggest guitar music of all time, Mr. Butch Vig. That's such a great chat. Oh, I've, I've had them all on. Go and have a, a good old rummage when you get to the end of uh, today's great chat with Johnny. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, it's really simple. This is the bit where everyone's like, oh, shut up. Just get on with the podcast. But this bit's the important bit. It's a dollar. It's about 70 pence. And uh, and you get so much stuff for that. Um, and it's over on Patreon. 
P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. So go to patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. The, the link will be in the show notes. Um, and if you pay your, your dollar, you can just sign up for a month and then leave. And, and, and what you can do within that month is rinse a back catalogue of hundreds and hundreds of episodes, video episodes. You can watch all these chats over there. Um, and also I'll put up loads of radio shows. But what I do each month is a live show, a live show on Zoom. And you can all come and you can all bring your records to the table, and we all have a lovely chat. We've, we've, we've done about seven now, and honestly, they're so much fun. They're really lovely. Such a really adorable gang of people have, have all found their way over there, and uh, we have a really no, a non-judgy. I don't want you thinking it's some super cool indie thing where we're all trying to out-call each other. It's not. It's lovely, uh, and I'd love for more of you to attend that. And that ticket um, all comes within your, your $1 a month Patreon support. And, uh, yeah, go check it out, patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Or for anything, just head to the website. It's your one-stop shop, off the beat and track podcast.com. Anyway, right, that's the little bit done that uh, that I know you normally try and skip because uh, it's just me waffling on and you want the proper waffle. Now we're going to get the good waffle. This is it. It's the golden waffle. Right, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with the delightful Johnny Lloyd of tribes. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Johnny, how are you, mate? I'm good. Um, we're just about to go on tour. Mm. Um, so we start tomorrow in Leeds and then end in Wembley on Friday with DMAs, um, which is great. I mean, we did a little splattering of like shows last year, um, but it feels, yeah, it's just very exciting to be back in the groove, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a one, it's a wonderful thing. I'm extremely, not to get too American on it, but very, very grateful to be yeah. in this sort of situation again and be playing with those guys and also finished an album that we're so proud of. I honestly didn't think it would come around like that again. So it's just, it's just great. And even on the business side, you know, having our managers back and great deal with downtown and Mike Smith, who I massively have always been a fan of um, being involved is just wonderful. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's life has changed dramatically in that interim, you know, we're all dads. We've all got little kids and uh, it's just taken the edge off the ego and maybe the reasons we were doing it in the first place but also just have not having it as our main income source is quite yeah. interesting you know that because it because it was that when we were on island records and doing it the first time around and yeah it's always going to be stressful as a business you know being in a band but it's like it's been it's amazing thinking we don't have to do this or that necessarily we don't have to go and play there or do things we might not want to do for brands or all those kind of stuff that you you know we used to have to do um for money because we make it elsewhere so it's like it's become a different um a different beast really um did so it, yeah just, just did it feel like that when because f- from my side of things yeah like, I first stumbled across Tribes and, and yourself. I, I was running a, I don't know if you remember this, I was running a club night in, in Hoxton with the actor Matthew Holm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And uh, and we got sent we got sent a demo of Himalaya. 
<laughs> by 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 a, yeah. a, an agent, and it was like, "Fuck, this is this is incredible." And she was like, "This is this new band you should put them on." And then it felt like literally a few months after that, yous were like everywhere. It just exploded, mm. like you know, cover of all the all the music mags and that. And you, you sort of touched on something about sort of branding deals, and this time it not being your main source of you know of, of of paying the bills and stuff. So just to sort of go back there, did it feel that there was pressure also being on that major label? Like it, this is shit or bust. We've got to do all of these things and. And did it yeah. feel like you could it could all end at any given point? Yeah, absolutely, and it did. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, um, I think, like, there's no, there's a stigma with musicians about getting dropped. It doesn't exist in the fans with the fans. You know, it just doesn't because why they don't care what label you're on, or you know, very, very few of them do. So, yeah, we were always aware, you know, we went to L.A. on our second album and we went to Sound City and offered the opportunity that arose and we spent an awful lot of money. And it became, it was never really talked about, like we we were never in it for cash, you know. We were pretty self-sufficient in terms of, you know, we could live on anything at the beginning. Um, so... Yeah, it just it it became more of a like God, we're like we've got flats now, and yeah, we've got to do this, or we've got to go to Dubai and do a show for Rolling Stone magazine to five people for money. You know, it's like it was all getting it. It was a little of there was tastes of that coming. Yeah, what you have to do to survive sort of financially, so you're always looking for that kind of like Coca Cola show or whatever you can do for a private event that pays you a fortune you just can't make on tour you know mm. um and i think a lot of bands went through that that was kind of i don't even know if that stuff exists now but yeah we it, it, when it becomes about money or when the money's running low or certainly when you get dropped from a major and you're used to your tour support being paid and then it isn't um yeah it, it's a different it's a different feeling um so yeah i mean it's just not that this time around and it, it wasn't that to begin with it was just sort of the tail end of the band became a yeah. bit more um I was I, I I'm not sure if it was more it was more of an awareness from the band about like how how we survive, you know. Yeah. Remember the sort of chat about oh god, the wages are running out and all this kind of thing. But really my point is just that we it's it's arrived at a different place now and we're we're like hell bent on making it sustainable and providing it the best living we can for us. Yeah. But also just at the beginning, like now setting it up in the right way, you know, like the merch being of quality and like um putting the releases at the right time of the year so we can like play the right festivals and, and stuff like that. Um but it feels it feels very exciting again and it feels very possible, which I'm surprised by. I'm not sure if there's less fans around now or the, the culture's changed, so you're allowed to be a bit older when you sort of like come back. But I think because we established ourselves the first time round, and we have this kind of like quite fanatic core, you know. I remember when we put when we came back and did our first show back at the Forum at Kenji's Town. It's probably the best gig we've done. You know, it's like two point three thousand, and it was like a football match. It was like ten years after we released that album. It was like I cannot believe. I can't. I would have been happy, honestly, playing in the pub down the road. You know? Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that it still had that kind of energy to it. 
And we got off and we were like, we've got to do this. Like, there's just no way. And we've kind of seen that in smaller versions all around the country, like Manchester, yeah. Glasgow, Sheffield. Like, so we've got to see, we've got to see it through. And when we got back in the studio, it's just, it was there, but tenfold, like with the creativity, it was just everybody's playing better because we've yeah. all been playing nonstop for years. And so it was just like, we've, the songs are feeling like powerhouse, you know, it's like, I'm so excited for it to come out. And you never get that initial splash again. You know, I'm not yeah. somebody looking for that. Oh, it, it must be like that when We Were Children came out and stuff. It's it's everything. Every chapter in your life is ever so slightly different. And I don't think trying to recreate things is ever going to, doesn't work in any area of life, really. So I'm, I'm kind of looking for something new, and we all are. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's just kind of just playing really good shows or writing or traveling the world in that way that you can't really do unless you're in the band which is just you have a purpose when you get to these places it's not a holiday you know and I kind of miss that um so that I have these little goals that you know I want to go to Italy and I'd love to go to Japan again and but nothing nothing grandiose you know it's just kind of very very grateful to be in the group and hammer out some like really <laughs> like our own style of rock and roll that we yeah. feel we are unique at you know whether it's like just got that slight wobble in it or it's like you know it's real we don't use backing tracks it's organic band and sometimes we're shit and sometimes we're really good so and i like, yeah. kind of like that kind of roll of the dice with the shows you know yeah let's start your playlist johnny i'm going to ask you for your first track tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please so Sweet Jane off um, the Velvet Underground album Loaded, which I kind of like read up on last night before this. And it was it was a kind of last ditch attempt by Lou to have this kind of success that had been ever so um, evasive for them. It was just so strange. You look on when you look back at the Velvet Underground, it's so influential. You know, the band that started 10,000 bands, as I've heard before. But it's like that song was always on in the kitchen and like it really, it really, really has gone into my psychic uh, sort of brain so deeply that it's hard to even put it into words. Like everything I've ever written is pretty much sort of, I hold that as the great recording, like the yeah. the sort of um, relationship between the acoustic and the drums in that is really interesting to me. And I, I love the way it sounds. I love the off-the-cuff nature of the vocal against quite a strict sort of... Um, regimented backing um i think even down to like we were children i remember hearing like mike crossy like record that and the relationship between the acoustic and the electric on the intro of that guitar really pings my ear because i was like that sounds like sweet jane we should we should leave it like that you know and I, so that that song is just is always with me and it's given me this kind of um like palette whether i want it or not that i pretty much play for everything else on you know and it's funny because I've been playing it to my daughter recently. He's four. And it really set her ear off as well. She's like, I really like this song, Dad. It's like, this is this is the great song, you know? <laughs> um, not sure I can tell her what it's about yet, but <laughs> when she's old. In, in regards to intros and, mm. uh, and such, I want to ask you, obviously when, when Tribes uh, first appeared uh, and you were signed to a major, there would have been pressure for singles and all of the stuff that comes with with, with, with being in a, a a major label band and the way that probably in the time since 
uh, you know, you, you've been on hiatus or, or however you want to sort of call the, 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 the break. Um, the way that people listen to music's changed dramatically. You know, there's there's people utilizing you know things like TikTok to to get music out there and 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 obviously streaming like Spotify is now a much bigger powerhouse than it was back then. Yeah. And 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 that then you know I'm, I'm sure that then creates things like the pressure to get on the right playlist to kind of get exposure to the right audiences. Any of these changes in the form, uh, you know, the way in which people get their music. Has any of that filtered through and affected your creative process now? It hasn't, but I'm very aware of not letting it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. we we have spoken about like how, like um, I know relatively successful musicians who have taken it in and are looking at their intros and thinking about their song titles more for the TikTok thing. I'm naturally right. Did you say? A, did you say titles as well, Johnny? Yeah, titles. Is that, is that a big thing as well? Then? Titles is a big thing. So, in terms of search engine and like, wow, moods and you know zeitgeist sayings and stuff like that that'll capture capture the attention of the masses. No, I don't think we are. We do do that. We just aim everything at live, like we always have. Like, how does this impact the room when it first kicks in? Is everyone yeah. going to go, that's my favourite song. That's the one I like, bang, 15 seconds, they've got it, you know. Um, and it's all about sort of um, elasticity, I'd say, tribes. It's like we build something up and we drop down. We build it. Like our biggest song is the chorus is, is dropped out. You know, it's like... And the same in Sapphire and We Were Children. We just go right down to the base for it. So it's all about this like build and tension release, you know? So the intro is a big part of that. Um, but I don't, um, no, I, I just, I won't allow it in. I know that Dan yeah. won't either, you know? It's like, it's kind of, we have these conversations about it. Like we cannot go down that rabbit hole because you can't trust it, you know? In a year it'll change and, you know, 15 seconds, is is an abomination really for, for like consuming music you know yeah my attention span's been battered enough by like just zoning out on netflix every night you know it's like yeah. an other thing to worry about i'm trying to we if anything we were you know three and a half four minute we're, we're kind of fighting with our radio pluggers enough over like edits and stuff let alone yeah. like, like going down but i know i know how powerful it is i know what a draw it is and i know how significant it is but i think like ev like in all of the music history you're rolling the dice when you put anything out anyway you know yeah. so nobody really knows the majors don't know like we've experienced all of that stuff it's so i think taking a risk on a on an app is very very dangerous thing yeah absolutely tell me the first song you remember hearing johnny that had an emotional impact on you please it was Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. My dad's not a musician, but he's a huge music fan. And Heartbreaker really stopped me in my tracks about six or seven. I actually called my mum about this last time. And she was like, you're just obsessed with the riff. And like, that was about the time I picked up a guitar. And I was, I've always loved this, how um, the sort of top end on Jimmy's guitar on that and just how, how strange it is as a riff with the sort of like, like the, the triple on the front is like um and like yeah I think as a kid I found it really really exciting and just really wanted to understand where that music came from um it was a little later on DVD that 
I found a copy of Song Remains the Same when I saw him play it live. But my, you know, I'm not from a religious family. I'm not from a family that really holds anything um, that dear. But but 70s, 80s and 90s rock stars were the kings in our house. You know, like my dad held them on a pedestal that was like, these are seriously significant cultural figures and should be respected at all times, you know. Re- very regularly he would he would make these huge proclamations that I wasn't allowed to like have Guns N' Roses or Aerosmith in the house because they weren't of the right caliber <laughs> like, <laughs> like, get that shit out of our house and it would be like I'd put YouTube Illusion 1 or 2 on which I loved but he was just wouldn't have it you know yeah. Just, yeah that's that's crap you can't listen to that in here like this is like Zeppelin and Sabbath territory, you know. So it was a, a constant debate, and it was and it was a debate that we had in depth all the time about like these who are the great rock stars. So there's never I never had a chance to be anything but a musician. Yeah. Where where was where was home? Where did you grow up? Good. So I, I was born in Newcastle in Jesmond, um, and I lived there till I was four, and then I moved to the Midlands. Um, place called Bilton um, and I lived there till I was 12 and then I moved to a place called Hill Morton which is in, in a town called Rugby um, till I was 17 and then I was in Camden yeah um, so I it's hard to define home I feel like I'm from the Midlands because I have a lot of my friends are there but my significant moments were in Camden 17 onwards really so if anybody ever says where you're from, I, I... Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I always say Camden because I feel like that's where I sort of came of age and that's where all my, it's what that place kind of, this one I'm still here, but it represents me more than the Midlands. But there there was an extremely like raw heavy metal scene in the Midlands. Like everybody loved like heavy shit. There was yeah. no, I was completely, I still think how strange this was. Like I was completely untouched by modern pop. Like I never listened to the radio. I never read the magazines or the paper. You know, it's like I, I've later had a kid with an ex pop star, Billy. And I was completely unaware of her when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, which, and she was like, you know, had number ones and stuff. But I, like I said, I lived in a bubble that was probably, probably had a time capsule on it of like 1978. Yeah. 
just because all of my friends' dads were exactly like my dad. And we go to barbecues and we just listen to like Mott the Hoople. Yeah. Um, and the Stones and like Black Sabbath. Uh, and that would just be it. We'd just be like, we just talk about those bands like they were current. You know, you have changed it if you could. No, fuck no. No, I love it. I like, I feel like there's, I feel like I, I lived in, Wayne Campbell's town with you know Wayne's world. I feel like that was kind of our why that was kind of our vibe because it was it was untouched by by modern culture. My yeah. best friends Woody and Charlie's past now, but we we would just bop around the three of us in my mini listening to like Teaching the Matles or the Stones or T-Rex, like it was fresh. Yeah. It's insane, but that's what it was. And when I got to Camden everybody was the same yeah 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 <laughs> so it wasn't it was like i'd found my my tribe immediately yeah. you know it's like well everyone's the same here the only difference is everyone's writing their own songs too um but the the influences are there and the libertines as well like when they came i was enamored by the fact there was a band from my era um who who were really good you yeah. know like that was fucking exciting and it was raw and they weren't polished on records which i was so fascinated by. it felt like, ramshackle didn't it it really it did. felt yeah like they just walked in and done a take but the songs were fantastic and it yeah. was just blew my head off you know yeah like everybody else you you, you spoke about moving about a bit as, as a youngster and uh, i imagine as, as somebody that didn't have to do that uh, i was always sort of terrified of the thought of like changing schools and things like that mm. um Tell me a little bit how, how, how that was and, and start by, I think, uh, telling me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Welcome to the Jungle is um, is the song at school because that one did get through to me. You know, Guns and Roses felt like everything I wanted in the 70s, but on like Nitro, you know, it just felt like it was it was like a cartoon character big and they would drink more and it was faster and heavier and the sound of the record was more intense and it dwarfed everything like sonically. So I just remember hammering that all the time. And like that really, I have very good memories of my childhood, but really like facing the record player with my acoustic, which is never going to fucking work and trying to work out the guitar parts and find like, why are they so hard? But looking back, it's like probably because I was pay- playing like a forty-pound acoustic, and it's like like strings, like wire hangers on it. You know, I never had a chance. Um, so yeah, I remember that um, moving around. Yeah, I was young when I sort of went to the Midlands. Newcastle is a place that I love, but I didn't really know anything about it until we started touring. You know, I, I was weirdly I was I was the second to last baby born in a Jesmond in a hospital in Jesmond, right? And I thought I, I was told that I was the last kid, but I met a guy in in a pub um, called Tom, who I became friends with, who told me he was the last baby born in Jos- Jesmond. And he and that's pretty fucking surreal, isn't it? Fucking mental, right? And I was like, <laughs> right, okay. And then we like got our he got his mum on the phone or something, and he was a few minutes like uh, older, younger than me, and it was him. <laughs> We ended up taking like a drama class together. I was like, what the fuck? So anyway, that was the, my only relation to Newcastle was the fact that I knew this other guy that was born in this hospital. Yeah. And I really loved the football team until about 1998 when they were eight points clear and 
with Kevin Keegan and they signed Festino, Festino Spria. And they think they lost the league and I was so gutted I never watched football. <laughs> um, that's totally true. Still, I, mean, I wouldn't be able to name a single player these days. But yeah, I, I used to go back and, you know, go to St. James's Park with my dad occasionally. Um, but I didn't have, I don't have a really feel... I've always struggled with, with feeling where, I, like knowing where I'm from, you know. Yeah. I think I've really put deep roots in Camden because it feels like, because I'm trying to establish something that I maybe have, haven't got. I've got a very sort of middle of the road accent. And mm. I have, my family are from Wrexham in Wales and it's spread out, you know. So it's like, I've always worried like, where like when that question comes in it's hard for me to answer so it's kind of I've then walked into an adult life where I just move around all the time as well so I've built my own kind of thing here and like I always say like yeah I'm, I'm from Canada I, I wish I knew more about Newcastle I wish I had more of a connection with it but I just don't it's something I say on stage like I was born here but you know it doesn't really yeah it doesn't really mean that much. And and the Midlands was was wonderful, but we were always coming down to London on the weekends or going up to Birmingham or Coventry to see shows or whatever. Um, but it was, uh, it had a sense of space that I've missed since, I think. It had a sense of, like, um, area around, you know, the Midlands, like, between uh, Northampton and Coventry, and you could just sort of go in any direction. It was very it was very safe and free. Sure. Up. Totally landlocked. Not much going on, but you could just kind of build your own identity. And I still see that when I go back. Like, you see these pockets of kids who are just look totally different because they're not from major cities and they're not under any kind of, like, obligation to dress in a certain way. It's just yeah. you pick and choose your culture from... The major towns you take the bits you like and you chuck the rest um which allowed me to just be you know live in a time capsule essentially and did you did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school i did immediately yeah i was had no no qualms that i wanted to be a musician from about the age of 12. was that encouraged at school um not really i mean there was lots of other musicians but not not really. No, it wasn't. I think my my mum and dad were totally open to me doing it and being open to um that journey. They had no idea what it would hold, I don't think. So I got I got a good grade in English and I went to Goldsmiths. But really as soon as I got here, I just took the loan and then just went hell bent, hell for leather on being a musician. Which took a long time because I was like trying to learn how to write songs and trying to just it was so frantic then it was like 2007 it was just fucking indie scene was like a beast you know there was so many bands and you know I kind of was out of Nambuka that that crowd it was like four bands playing a night and it was it was competitive and there was A&R man everywhere and then just as a punter there was just so many club nights everybody was in the skinny jeans it was parties just constantly everyone was a fucking DJ or they had a band that even if they hadn't played they were just in a band you know it's like it was just this overwhelming feeling and it was really really great for about two or three years and I played with loads of people and I didn't really find my singing voice for a while and then it got to about 2009 and I was like we'd broken up this group that I was in 
um, one of the guys had gone off to everything, everything. And me, Jimmy and Dan were sat in a pub and I was like, I'm just kind of sick of this like angular guitar approach. You know, like I fucking love Guns N' Roses and Aerosmith and Pavement. And I'd love the looseness of the Libertines, but I want it to be heavier. You know, it's like, and we just kind of arrived at this all together. And we were like, let's just do the band that we wanted to be in when we were kids. Like, let's just make the music that's really fucking simple. It's heavy and loud and has this kind of vague message of like nostalgia back to this time, but also just positive shit. And let's just dress like we dress and just put clad in denim and leather and just fucking, you know, just have it a bit. And we did it and it sort of immediately, it almost immediately clicks. You know, we were in a rehearsal and we're like, we met Miguel in the pub in the Hallies, an old school friend of Dan's. We auditioned him, we just tapped on the bar. You know, he looks like he's the most handsome man in North London. And he was really into the Chili Peppers. And we were like, yeah, we love the Chili Peppers too. Let's just have that in the sort of rhythm section as a flavour. And we'll have a bit of Zeppelin and a bit of Velvet Underground and we'll fucking do massive guitar solos and we'll have wah-wah pedals and it'll be loose as fuck and we'll we'll just emulate all the stuff we like. And... And it's from the first rehearsal, it was like that. And it it happened, you know, we slogged it for a couple of years, like everybody does. And there were moments when we were like very poor and like worrying, like how we were going to continue. Then we got this bit of luck with the Mystery Jets and they took us on the road. We lived in their van for 30 days and just absolutely like made a hole in their audience every night. And it just started happening. And then it's we went from pubs to like Thousand Cap Electric Ballroom like a week after the single came out, you know, so it was like just, and we just, we just believe that, um, that it was good. And we always have, and we're, we never claim to be the best band, but we're like, this is, this is good. Like this is making some impacts and people yeah. like Tribe seem to have found their little club, you know? And yeah, it was, it was more than anything. It was a reaction against that, like 20 band bill India, yeah. everybody on the side like Pete Doty. Yeah. Um, and trying to then then it became a bit more angular, like with like the editors, and it was going in all white lies. It, it was going in the direction that I didn't really understand or recognize as like rock and roll, you know. It's mm. like, is this rock and roll or is this like new wave? Well, I just don't understand it. Like I know I can't play it, so I've got to get <laughs> gotta get love. Yeah, it's like gotta just go to you know, get the Marshall stack out and like do your thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we've come back to again. You know, it's like there's a real element, there's a childlike element in the. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Band is very regressive. You know, we talk about the shit we liked when we were kids and we we like Van Halen and, we're not, you know, those kind of bands. And 
we reference them in the studio you know? yeah. and it's not um it's not based on other people's sounds or anything more relevant um which i love i think that's really freeing artistically sometimes with the ballads and there's a lot of them in our band you can lean into the smiths or you can lean into like maybe it'll have an element of an, an arctic monkeys flavor in there you know but it's it's that's a side, I think, to the sort of heavier stuff we do. And there's a lot of there's a lot of shades to us now, which is really exciting. The set lists are getting cool, which is great. Johnny, tell me the first record you remember buying. Okay, so it was Turtles theme tune. I absolutely fucking love Turtles. And my mum made me a Turtles costume for Christmas once. She's really good at selling. I thought you, before you finish that sentence, <laughs> my mum made me a Turtle costume for Christmas. I thought, fucking hell, still... Like, when I was eight, glad you clarified that. Yeah, yeah, and she had it had the backpack on it and everything, and it was around that time that I went to a record store and bought the the theme tune on seven inch. Um, I it is somewhere in my house, but yeah, that that was I was like born in nineteen eighty five, so it was like that was the time I was the perfect age for, Mm. you know, the turtles. And uh, there's some, yeah, the, the theme tunes seem to have changed and they've, as they've rebranded, but that was a particularly good one. It's like 1992 or something oh, like that. Solid, absolute banger. Yeah. Banger. <laughs> um, you, you spoke about your dad's kind of, you know, love of music and, and, a, and a vast collection that you weren't allowed to add your uh, GNR records to. Um, tell me a little bit about your relationship with the record shop, if there is one, and... You know, I know a lot of bands when they're on tour, they'll, they'll they'll go and find the local sort of indie store and 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 go and uh, have a little sort of look through the record collection. Um, and a lot of bands sort of play record store day shows and things like that. What's your relationship with 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 the record shop? When I grew up, there was a really good one um, in a place called Clock Towers in Rugby, and it was always you know this is before so maybe nineteen ninety four or ninety three ninety four. And I was obsessed with blues as well. Like I loved Lightning Hopkins and just studied the blues on guitar and still do. And so they had a big like world music section. I don't yeah. know if you call it that now, but like they had a massive section there. And I used to go in there and I discovered like Buena Vista and like all this kind of slightly off-brand blues, blues stuff that had been like produced by Ry Kuda. And it was something I did on Saturdays if I had any money. And it was like, and I and I loved it. It was like... I always wanted more from the people in there. I think I still have that. Like I always want to go in and like have that high fidelity moment when you sort of chat to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I completely agree. Here, check <laughs> this out. And it's never happened to me. And it still pisses me off to this day. I still, I'm still like overly forward with people in um in record shops trying to recreate some scene and some fucking movie I probably haven't even seen. But it's yeah, I I still go and I still spend too much in them and I still a mass i have a huge vinyl collection that i'm very proud of actually because it's like everywhere we've gone i've bought something and i've tried to tried to have it physically as something to hand down to to lula or whoever and just try and you know just learn about whatever it is i'm looking looking at i think recently there's a label called analog africa who i'm obsessed with and they do weird uh, reproductions of like 70s Africa funk, um, Colombian rock and roll and all this strange offshoot stuff that slipped in the net and you buy these gatefold vinyls for way too much and you open them up and they've got like uh, reproduced 
uh, newspaper pullouts from the, the month that this album came out in fucking Peru or something, you know, and you sort of pull it out and you you, you read it and they got loads of info and it's just like four or five hours of your life. It's usually like two or three discs, this thing. And it's just, that is great. Like whenever I order one of those, I'm like, and I have way too many of them now, but it's just a great, that's a great thing I like to do. And if I have any time, I like put it on behind me and just listen to it. And even if I get one idea from it, I always consider that not a waste of money, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So I still try and support them and we'll be doing two a day, I think, this summer, like in stores around the record, so. Wonderful. Yeah. Let's go clubbing, Johnny. Tell me the song that soundtracked your years clubbing. So when I got to London, that's when it sort of really kicked off. There's a club night called Frog, I'm sure you know about. Um, where I met everybody, I, I still know <laughs> pretty much. It's like Tom Frog was running that place with Jay and Danny. And that was the night, it was really early on, um, that I first heard, I'd heard someday, but I first heard it in a club by the Strokes. And it was just sounded so fucking great when that extra guitar comes in wide, like the Alberham, the straights or strumming one. It was like, oh my God, this is like, if I could make a track like this. And then watching everybody go off to music that I recognised as like rock and roll was extremely exciting to me. And I went every single Saturday and just got out of my mind for, for, for years and years until it closed. Um, but I loved, I loved that, hearing that. And also watching watching friends of mine's bands enviously watching them have their tracks played in the main room and like watching people like move bump up and down and just being so excited by the fact that what other bands were were, were floating about that scene at that point johnny fucking hell it was like really early kooks um the holloways were quite a big deal like it's kind of friends with with them and they had that great record generator which was moving clubs up and down the country I mean, there were so many groups. Um, for local, if I just say my friends, like Captain Black were like a kind of Mumford and Sons-esque group that were in Camden. They had a very sort of like riling um, like effect on the room. There was a band called the Michelles who kind of turned up in suits. We always played with them. Um, there was Turbo Guys who were kind of doing like a more hardcore punk thing. Thrash Pussy who were like the female version of that. Um, and then every band that sort of made it through the net. So, you know, watching Razorlight kick off and like all these other groups that yeah. were, and the Wombats and not so much the Arctic Monkeys because it was such a fast ascent. Mm. But every band went through Frog. So we kind of watched them en masse just ascend. You know, it's like Kid Harpoon before he was Harry Styles' songwriter mm. was my favourite act. And he was like a kind of folk um, very nuanced kind of folk act and it was very powerful like what he did I never felt he captured it quite on record and I think he'd probably agree but it was like it was just phenomenal like club act Gil Kicker Sam McCarthy's band absolutely brilliant I mean there's so many good songwriters that didn't quite break through yeah um, Rosie Bones who later went on to be Bones like Rosie and the Odd Squad were all the way through to go all those shows um yeah i mean it was it's hard to sort of ruin them off with this yeah just, um, to touch on the strokes like for a lot of young indie kids at that point 
They'd probably not heard music like The Strokes before. When you heard it for the first time, did you instantly just reference so much? You, obviously, you've chosen The Velvets as your opening track on this playlist. Could you hear The Velvets in it? Could you hear yeah. all of them records that you've been exposed to as a kid? Yeah, I don't. I think it's impossible not to hear The Velvet if you know the New York references. Yeah. And it was just immediately... I think maybe if they hadn't been from New York, they were from Boston, it might have slipped me by that. Mm. It was just so regimented. And the Let Loaded, in particular, like that Velvet Underground album, was starting to get that real... Because obviously it was loose before, but it was starting to get that really polished feel. And you're like, you know, when you hear Is This It, it's like, that is, that's got those carrying that, that mechanism in the rhythm section, which yeah. is just tight. And so, yeah, I heard it in New York City Cops being like the first double A side or whatever I think they did. It's it was like, yeah, yeah. that's... that's um, that couldn't be more lurid if it tried. Like that's guys, and he's got a distortion on his voice. It sounds like a lively read. Yeah. Um, you know? But I think like the angular nature and how strict he was. I'm not, I'd always, I've always wondered what the fuck it would have been like in a rehearsal. Like, because obviously the, the lead guitar player, Nick, right, would have just been, can play his ass off. It's like, is he just being told to like keep it straight, not bend the notes and just like really, really rigid? And Albert just doing downstrokes. You're like, how long could that be interesting to them, you know? Yeah. But it really works to sound. And I know that Julian was, like, very much on on that, you know, and in control of them for those first two albums. So I think, yeah, it, what what it spawned was was what was the problem, you know? It spawned everybody doing that and everybody doing the downstrokes and everyone just having, like, lead lines that were just really melodic but, like, very, very, like, angular and there was no looseness. It was all gone. I think by that point it had lost any influence from Lou Reed. Yeah. It had become the you know the thousands of bands that they inspired to to start. Who most of all most of which you know were lucky to get to a seven inch single really. Yeah. Um, and just evaporated or changed names overnight. It was it, it created this like like this swarm of bees like going for that sound. Yeah. And it was a very confusing time after that because I loved the Strokes and then I, what they created I didn't love. So it was like. It was almost, I, I don't rarely ever talk about them now because of yeah. fear being pigeonholed with one of those bands. That, that yeah, 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 yeah. find it hard to talk about the Libertines, even though I really love them. And I later actually played on one of Carl's albums, which I felt, found like was a real honour for me, you know, but it was like, it was just, it's, it's hard to mention them now because of how much influence they've had. I think that's just what it is, you know, in 20 yeah. years to be hailed as like the great thing that they were, but... Um, yeah, I think Sunday by the Strokes was that the kind of catalyst moment was like, God, this rock and roll bands are like moving clubs in a way that maybe Oasis couldn't, or maybe that was more of a, like a stadium feel and you wouldn't necessarily put it on. Obviously, some of their tracks, but that had passed and now we had our own thing. And it was like, yeah, I'm like 21 and it's I've got my own bands and they're like roughly the same age. So it's super exciting. Yeah. I'm going to take you home um, now for uh, for track six, and I'm going to ask you to tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. I'm going to say "Rain Song" by Led Zeppelin, Rob Plants from Wolverhampton, and I spent a lot of time there as a kid. And even though this intro, you know, is written by Led Zeppelin, it feels very much a Robert's song due to the lyric on it. Um, I remember watching the song remains the same DVD and he's walking around with the fucking sword on the horse and the horse like falls in the ditch one moment. He kind of looks at the camera. I was like, God, this is, 
really terrible like these dream sequences but just brilliant um but yeah i love that song and it's in a weird tuning and i've i spent a long time in my teens learning that and i haven't really gone back to it since but last night writing you this list i like had a go at it again and it's just a bit of music that reminds me of my shitty mini when i was a kid and like being a teenager and having this like awe of jimmy page's like guitar playing and not quite understanding it and not quite being able to do it but just like being completely mesmerized but but it still stops with my tracks if i'm if i'm out and you very rarely hear it but it's actually on a plane about six months ago and i heard somebody listening to it and again like you know, I go to, yo, do you like Led Zeppelin? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, this is your last track. Johnny, I'm going to ask you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. I love Bobby Womack's version of Fly Me to the Moon. The only reason I've picked this is because I stumbled across it quite late last year and I just haven't been able to turn it off. It's it's so moving and it's, it's very strange how the music... Um, with the addition of the sort of minor chords he's put around it, changes its moon, its, its meaning almost. It's like with the Frank Sinatra version, it's like fly me to the moon feels celebratory and feels like you're uh, you're headed to a positive destination and Womack's version feels like you're running away or you're trying to get out of there, you know? So it's just that little flip of the chord um, and it's it's got this sort of holy meaning. And I tend to obsess over, when I find something like that, I drill it for months until I understand what's happened in the song. It's like, I'm not, I'm not a technical musician. I'm purely emotional, really. And I react to things, you know, I like. I play something with my hands and be like, I like that. I don't know why or what the version of the chords are that I should be doing, but or how I stumbled across this, but I like it. And I think like with this, I'm still trying to like capture that because three chords into the song, it just drops to this minor and it sort of rips your heart out. And it's like, I'm I'm trying to find that now and put it in a song myself. Yeah. So I will listen to this like in a really autistic fashion many, many times a week yeah. <laughs> it happens, you know. Um, and that's that's how I sort of approach songs. That like, I'm really glad I found it because I it had been a couple of years since I'd had that reaction to music and I was kind of missing it. It used to happen all the time to me and it happens much less these days. I think being a, being a dad, you, you, you're tired a lot of the time and you, you're not in control of the stereo anymore, you know. The album I listen to the most is fucking Frozen 1. Um, <laughs> I probably hear that twice a day on yeah. a school run. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's all good. Bear with, mate. Bear with it because yeah. I, I had years and years and years of, of that. And uh, and I've had two moments. Like My, my, my children are, are, are 20 and 18 now. Uh, my 20-year-old come up to me once and went, have you ever heard Summer in My Heart by Aztec Camera? And I thought, yes, I have. And it's a fantastic wow. record. And I was made up by that. And then about a month and a half ago, my youngest walked into the kitchen wearing a, wearing a Meet His Murder T-shirt, and I thought, my fucking work is done. I've cracked it. She's got a Smith's T-shirt on. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to those moments. I think I think they'll come. It's just, yeah, it's just the re- repetition of Dad put my song on and, like, the same records, you know, the yeah. repetition. But I'm doing the same thing, but I'm just doing it on headphones. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, 
Bill the other day. It's like I am listening to that to my songs as much or the songs I like as much as she is listening to Frozen. I'm just doing it privately. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the madder person? You know, it's like wonderful. Johnny, what we do is um we put together a um a little playlist on Spotify for all of your song picks, and obviously we'll put uh some of your music on there and 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 obviously the uh, the new tribe stuff. Um looking forward for the rest of 2023, what's gonna be happening? It's busy. So we've got the album's out August 18th. Um, so we'll be touring all around the country um, in support of that. There's some pretty big announcements next week for some headline shows, bigger than we've done before, which is really exciting. There's some good news coming from Italy, so we'll be going over there. And we'll be hitting some support tours and just probably been on the road maybe 18 months in support of this one. So it's going to be, we're just, yeah, couldn't be happier really. I can't wait to do it. Oh, wonderful. And if people want to keep up to speed. Very healthy. Love it. Yeah. If people want to keep up to speed with what's happening, Instagram. where's the best place? Instagram, yeah? The Tribes the tribes Facebook page or the Instagrams where they get all the news, yeah. Wonderful. Johnny, what we do is we'll, we'll take you in if it's all right with uh, with you. We're trapped up. Sorry, we'll, um, we'll take Tribes in it. And uh, for people that aren't already following it, then uh, it's one click away. Um Mate, it's been really, really lovely getting to catch up with you and, and yeah, it's been great records. Uh, I really appreciate your time today, mate, and and best of luck with the with the record and the tour. And uh, I will endeavour to to get to one of the live shows on that tour. Thank you, Jim. I'm going to press stop, Johnny. Don't go anywhere. There you go. Ah, oh, that was lovely. Well, top laddies, Johnny. Um, go check out Tribes. If you've never seen Tribes live, it is a monumentous racket. It is fantastic. Go get stuck into it. It's glorious noise. Um, so good to have them back. If you've not checked the new single, head over to Spotify now and do it. I've slung it uh, on Johnny's playlist. So when you're going through all the songs that, that Johnny chose today over on Spotify, then um, you'll be um, privy to that as well. And Make sure you give them a follow on Spotify so you don't miss the drop of the new record when it comes out. Right, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, go check out the back catalogue now. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes. I have had a who's who of indie music over there, who's who of rock music, alternative music, whatever you want to call it. I've been blessed, so go have a good old look about over there. Why not join the Patreon? It's a dollar. I know we've got a cost of living going on. If you can share that 70p, it really does help support the podcast. It allows me uh, to do these uh, two free episodes every week. So I ask if you can support me over there. That is much appreciated. This is completely self-funded, uh, and all the all the bits and pieces involved in getting it out are all are all put together by me. Um, so yeah, any support along the way, um, and I promise you, you get loads of bang for your buck. I promise you that. You won't be disappointed. You've got an archive of hundreds of episodes that you can go and listen to that have never been released to the public. Like I say, you can just go and watch all them shows. If you like to watch your pods, go and see what they look like. Unfortunately, we have to put up with my big old lispy head. Um, but yeah, patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. Right, you've heard enough from me. I'll see you next time. In the meantime, be excellent to each other. Love you lots. Bye-bye.